Okay. Hello, everyone. It's been a while. <laughs> a lot of things have uh, taken place. Uh, uh, and something happened very recently, I'm sure, has affected a lot of us, if not all of us, in some way or another. Uh, so I'm uh, sort of leave the open the floor to you if you have if you want to make this a group discussion on on this if people have very strong feelings that they want to address or or we can. Uh, do something together in a group. Uh, well, I can talk about something. Once you get in contact with Tantra, you, you come across different uh, uh, Tantric practices and the title or part of the title of a particular Tantra, particular practice tells you, oh, this is especially good for that, especially good for that, especially good for this. And this might make you think that oh in this particular there are specific practices for specific situations and when something happens and you want to know oh what's the proper tantra for this uh, although it's a very good question because you you want to do exactly the kind of practice or the kind of uh, activity that will uh, address it and if you don't have an encyclopedia at home that tells you when this happens and you know do this, then you feel curse of kind of loss, and you're looking for a llama to call to tell you, so it can tell you exactly what to do, okay? Because you want to do exactly what's right, and the motivation is is good. But there isn't any one specific thing to do for any one specific uh, situation. All these different, uh, I guess, uh, purposes that are given to these different tantras, the main thing that is at the core of all these practices is compassion. As long as you're motivated by compassion, it doesn't matter what you do, it becomes the proper thing to do. 
Okay. So you could also uh, get a hold of this incredible text that has this incredible practice that is incredibly secret, that has been handed down in a very incredible secret lineage, and then you recite it, and it doesn't mean anything. Okay. It doesn't mean that uh, uh, it was, now you've done something very powerful for this person, or for this situation. The, all these things are simply different skillful means of expressing compassion. All these are just different uh, colors of compassion that can, compassion can manifest. So as long as you can hold on to a true sense of compassion, have an open mind as to nature, as to the reality of things, not necessarily making yourself think that you know what the reality is and then you, what the true nature of reality is and then you, and you proceeding from there. Just having an open mind, at least a sincere sense of, I don't know, and I want to act, I want to, this action to be driven by true, my, just by my true compassion, whatever level of compassion I'm able to feel right now. And whatever practice you are already familiar with, that practice becomes the most powerful thing you can do. If all you know is how to recite through the refuge formula, then the refuge formula becomes the most powerful thing you can do. It's better to recite the refuge formula with just those three lines, with a true hold, being able to hold on to your compassion as much as possible, than to recite a 10-page sadhana on some deity whose name you cannot pronounce and your mind is all over the place. You're not doing anybody any favor. Okay? And you might even be in danger of thinking, oh, I did something great at the end because I did recite this 10-page sadhana, which was difficult. And you might end up just harming yourself instead. Okay? There's no such thing as an insignificant practice. Only an insignificant practitioner. Uh, I mean, uh, almost impossible to find his equal. He spent 12 years meditating in solitary, in, in solitude on just Lam Rim. Just Lam Rim. And he didn't do the other so-called higher practices until much later. And he spent maybe one year, two years, three years on them. He spent 12 years, did you hear what I said? 12 years meditating on Lam Rim, supposed to be the basic, most basic thing. And that wasn't when he was a little kid. Okay? That was when he was already a recognized high spiritual teacher. He left that post, went to meditate on Lam Rim for 12 years. So was he wasting his time when he could have recited that 100-page sadhana with his name of the deity he's going to pronounce? Because all these things, the so-called high practices, they are just a very elaborate way of expressing compassion. Or elaborate way of tapping into your compassion and expressing it. Okay. So whenever you encounter a situation and you want to do something, 
whatever practice you feel very close to, you recite that and you make a dedication at the end. And that's the most powerful thing you can do. Okay. And of course, certain people may have a certain connection to a, another practice that could be more powerful for them. And they may not, not be aware of it. Okay, maybe a consulting a lama will tell you, oh, for you, if you do this and that, it will be powerful for you. It doesn't mean that everyone should do that practice. You shouldn't go around now telling everybody, oh, if you, for, that, for that particular situation, this is what you must recite. It was for you because of your connection with that practice. Okay, it becomes powerful for you. Okay? And if you don't know, if you cannot find a lama to tell you that, and if you ask someone, they, they, you know, they don't give you anything, whatever you feel already strongly connected to, you, you do that on behalf of that particular situation. Okay? A very long answer to, <laughs> to your question. Okay. Uh, and I think perhaps this topic might uh, help. I'm not going to dwell too much on it. Okay. Um, perhaps now because of the particular circumstances, particular, this particular situation, you may be, your mind may be naturally entertaining doubts about this and that. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with having a healthy sense of doubt. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the mind seeking truth. And the mind needs it. And if you create a truth, that is, make up a truth, imagine a truth, you're not helping yourself. You, only, you will make situations worse. You are delaying uh, your, abil- your ability to eventually tap to real, a real resource, a real way of helping. And I think the term, I'm not sure... Uh, how many of you are connected with this term, uh, familiar with this term? Glamour. Not glamour in the sense of like the magazine, glamour. Glamour in, in the, the way in spirituality it is described as you know, like this, like a fog you hold above, you hold in your mind, but it's, you, don't th- you don't think of it as a fog. You even think of it as a clear understanding. But it's glamour. Glamour in the sense of there's already an illusion happening and you're superimposing another illusion on the illusion. Okay. And this kind of illusion, you might think it's proper practice because you're superimposing what seems to be uh, a proper practice of this thing called uh, pure view. Okay. And people get caught up in glamour in thinking that they're practicing pure view. It's good for you, for your own mind. It's good to tame, for, to tame bad habits. It's good to tame uh, wrong habits. Especially the tendency for the mind to be, uh, to have um, what's called stupid pride. To, instead of, when your mind 
immediately thinks uh, badly of someone, it's a, it's a nice practice for you to deliberately try to think the opposite of, of that person. But don't think that just because you're doing this practice, you're doing this exercise, you, or you, you have somehow tapped into the truth of this person. Okay. The person, by our conventional means, may be a proper object to put the label, this person, oh, what's the, like, I don't want to use a bad word. <laughs> This person may be the proper basis as far as the conventional world is concerned, which is the only world that we can ever function in, whether you're enlightened or not. Okay. So, this person may be the proper basis for the label this person is a troublemaker. Oh, nice word to say it. A troublemaker. Okay. Now, you don't want the habit, what happens when you see a troublemaker. Your mind thinks of, let me get him. Your mind thinks of what ways I can harm this person. That's, the, that's, that's how, uh, unfortunately, we are trained to react to, 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 to such persons. So to stop this kind of habit from gaining strength because it's not helping us. So we might think, uh, uh, think instead, oh, this is an angel. And, and saying this is an angel is a way of sort of helping us stop the bad habit of reacting with anger. Instead, we want to react with, uh, with, with compassion, with love, no matter who we meet, no matter how they're behaving. But we're not, we're not quite used to that kind of reacting or behavior yet. So we have to train ourselves. And this thing of putting, oh, that's a nice person, or that's an angel, is just a training. You did not, all of a sudden, have a direct perception of that person's true nature. And then now you're seeing, oh, that is an angel in front of me. It's a training. Okay? And don't go around telling other people, oh, so-and-so is an angel. And you know what they're all going to encounter when they encounter that person. Okay? So, understand it is a training. You tell it to yourself so that you, don't, you, 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 you start to suppress and eventually stop the mind's uh, habit of reacting in a way that is destructive to you. And when if it's destructive to you, it's not going to be help, helpful to anyone. You, 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 you are delaying or making yourself incapable of being a source of help. Okay? So, if you don't know, just acknowledge it. You don't know. And if you feel strongly this is an object for compassion, act out of compassion. Don't think that, oh, this is, not a, uh, this is an angel, doesn't need my help. There's no need for me to feel compassion. This is just a, 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 a skillful means to help me. Okay? All, that, all these kinds of thoughts is a training to help you, to stop your, 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 your dis- instinctive or habitual patterns. 
Okay? But if you strongly feel there's, this is an object of compassion, and you don't allow that for you to, to make you act out of that compassion, you, you, could just, you could even say, I don't really know what's going on here, but I'm feeling this is, this is drawing compassion for me. So it may not be a, a real object of compassion, but I'm going to act out of compassion anyway. And this genuine act, act, uh, reaction with compassion will help me later on get better clarity. Okay? Rather than say, oh, this is, I'm, I'm deluded with my compassion. This is not really a, 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 an object of compassion. Uh, let me just move on. Okay? Instead, blame yourself. Oh, I did something wrong. That's why I'm seeing this now. Okay? You don't know? Stay with you don't know. Be, be genuine about it. Okay? It may be a fully enlightened Buddha behaving like somebody who is in trouble. So if it is indeed a fully enlightened Buddha behaving like somebody is in trouble, what is that fully enlightened Buddha wants from you? The fully enlightened Buddha wants you to have some compassion. That's why he's pretending to be somebody in trouble. He's not pretending to be somebody in trouble so to trick you so that you can eventually say, oh, it's not really somebody who's in trouble. It's a, it's a, it's a fully enlightened Buddha. Okay, I, don't, I don't need to help that person. And you move on. Okay. Then you, you've missed your opportunity for a Buddha to help you. Okay. Glamour. Do not allow the mind to superimpose another illusion on the, on the already present illusion. There's glamour in the sense of, oh, this person is really bad from the core. That's a glamour. Oh, this person is this person who's abusing you. You are experiencing, you are deliberately, you are directly experiencing abuse. Oh, this person is not abusing me. That's glamour. You're not facing reality. Okay. And and I const- constantly go back to uh, to Rinpoche. Uh, when he said it is wrong to think that this person is ordinary ultimately and it's also equally wrong to say that this person is enlightened when you have no proof that this person is enlightened no direct perception that this person is enlightened what do you see? deal with it if you don't deal with what you see, you're not going to be able to go transcend whatever you need to transcend. Okay. It doesn't mean that if you're perceiving things that are troubling, if you're perceiving things that are creating uh, suffering, 
doesn't mean that it's time f- uh, you're seeing wrongly. Okay. Or it doesn't mean that you did something wrong and now you're experiencing the, the, the effect of it. And I think this is something that I've tried to drill here over and over again. The Buddhas in their fully enlightened state see your misery. If they didn't see it, they would not be able they would not be moved to help you. If seeing misery is a result only of ignorance, the Buddhas having completely freed themselves of ignorance cannot see your miseries therefore. Then you are we are that's it. We are done for. Because the Buddhas can't see us. They can't see us in our miserable state because supposedly they're enlightened. They can't see miserable stuff anymore. Okay, they see you as an enlightened being already. Okay, he's already enlightened. Why should I help him? Oh, they see that you're fully enlightened but you are deluded in your enlightenment. Now that Buddha would be completely... I don't know, what would, would that Buddha do? You go crazy. Well, he's fully enlightened, but he doesn't know that he's fully enlightened. But how can that be? I'm fully enlightened. I know I'm fully enlightened. Isn't that the, isn't that the condition of enlightenment to know? Uh, you, you need someone to come and tell you you're enlightened when you're enlightened, enough for you to know that you're enlightened? Yes. Yes, go ahead. So you have been drilling it, and I've been like super confused by that. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, like, I've been like putting it on the shelf. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll come back. I'll ask him later. But um, so I'm asking you now. Um, so you're saying that it, it's not always coming back from us somehow. So where is it coming? I'm I'm confused about what you're saying. No, ask the question again. Okay, so you're saying that okay, Buddhas can see both like ultimate and conventional, and they can see yourself, and they can see you ultimately. No, no, no. So what you just uh, presented, they can see you, and they can see you ultimately. Right. As if there's a you that's ultimate over there, and there's a you that's conventional over here. There's no such entity. Right. To see you ultimately doesn't mean that to see you as a Buddha. Right. To see you ultimately means I see your misery and I see where your misery comes from. Right. So just seeing like the, car- the meat produced by my karma or whatever. Yeah. The karmic collection of Yeah. Me. Yeah. But then, okay, so then you were saying to see suffering doesn't mean that it's coming from you or something? Like I was confused by that part. Like when we backtracked and we were talking mm-hmm. about like you're seeing suffering as us, like an ordinary person seeing suffering. Mm-hmm. So the suffering is coming from us still though because we've created something to create that suffering or no? Your experience so, of suffering comes from you. Right. Yeah. So, but this, but the suffering isn't coming from me either. Like, um, no, it is coming from you. Right. So then, okay. So this is where I'm confused. So no. okay. So you're. So I'm confused by what you're seeing with the. So you're seeing suffering, but what exactly? Because, okay. So this person's suffering, and I'm seeing their suffering because I did something to see that and project it out of me somehow, or see it and then experience it. No, this person is suffering because all the conditions for that person to suffer are present. Right. Okay, but isn't but for me to see that isn't that still karmic on my end? Yeah, because you have the, the seeds, seeds to see it. Right. 
So those seeds are still coming from me still, right? And I'm still... The seeds to see it's coming from you. Yeah, to see it is still yeah. coming from me. Okay, so if those seeds were in there, I wouldn't see them suffering? Yeah, you would not. Does that mean that that person is suffering and then... Would they be suffering? Would they be suffering? <laughs> yeah, because how could they be suffering? Because they're coming from me, and their suffering is coming from me. So okay. if I take away the seeds for their suffering, then how could they be suffering? If I chopped off your arm, would you suffer? Um, you're chopping off my arm, and I'm producing you chopping off my arm, so both are coming from me, so yeah, I'm still going to be suffering. Okay, so in your mind, my arm being chopped off is suffering. Because I have the seeds to see a chopped off arm is suffering, and the car and the pain associated with that. Okay, you can, you can, uh, I'm going to stay with you with that. Okay. Okay, so... The experience, my arm being chopped off, whether it's a seat projecting or whatever it is that is, when I see my arm being chopped off, that's suffering. Um, based <laughs> upon the seeds in my mind, because my mind says his arm chopped off will produce suffering because he has a mortal body. So yeah. At this present moment, <laughs> with all the comic seeds that you have, when they create the, per the projection, the, the perception, my arm being chopped off, that's suffering. I would think you were in pain, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you have that, I, am, I suffer when my arm is chopped off. Right. And you see someone with their arms chopped off, that would, would that person, would that, can, you come, can you say, based on your own personal experience, maybe that person is suffering? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying, yeah. But that still, that view is still coming from me and from my own seeds because maybe the person's a Buddha and they're not perceiving that their arm chopped off as real pain. Well, the Bodhisattvas that later don't have the experience of pain because okay. they have the karma. That right? possible other reality. Right. It's maybe a Buddha. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not a really, maybe it's not a arm that's chopped off. Maybe it's taking the bus. To uh, to Macy's, right? <laughs> right. Maybe it is, but I'm not. But I am. You are. You're perceiving arm chopped off. And, 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 still, and as far as your as far as your own personal experience is, when my arm chopped off with all with with the universe being as it is right now, when my arm is chopped off, that's suffering. Right. So if you're perceiving it over there. It's not your arm that's being chopped off. It's some, that person over there whose arm being chopped off. doesn't matter. Now, the, re, the other reality is just the Buddha taking a bus to Macy's. And, the, and you're perceiving it as uh, that person's arm being chopped off. I'm not even connecting it with, oh, the Buddha is offering you know, flowers. Right, right, right. I'm making it completely different. Because it could be anything, right? Mm -hmm. It's just the Buddha taking a bus to, to Macy's. Exactly that. And you're seeing the Buddha taking a bus to Macy's as, oh, this person's arm is getting chopped off. That's, that's the reality that you're describing here. Right? <laughs> Even in that reality, because of your own personal experience as to whether in another universe your arms being chopped off is bliss, but right now in this universe, as your karma created it, arm being chopped off is painful. Right, and... Okay. Because of that, when you're seeing that, what you, what you are seeing is not a Buddha pretending to have his arm chopped off when it's actually a Buddha taking the bus to go to Macy's. It's someone having his arm chopped off. And because of my personal experience, that's 
very painful, you can, you can say, based on your experience, that person is experiencing pain. Right. That, that, that wasn't my question. It wasn't like, yeah, that should evoke compassion. Yeah. That, yeah. that obviously is happening. Okay. But my question is that I'm confused because I'm collecting that you're saying that if you're seeing suffering, it's not always coming from you. Is that what you're saying? Or am I mistaking when you're saying that? No. See, you, I twisted? you're starting from making yourself the center of the universe. Mm. Okay. The universe, I am the center. Whatever is existing, I am making it happen. Okay. Yeah. So, if that is the truth, let's all go home. <laughs> Just sit on your bed and then create a, a different universe. Okay. Well, because we are not having a conversation right now. It's just you having things pop up in your mind. Well, isn't that what they say it is? Who <laughs> said that? And that's, well, okay. So, like, so the thing is, because in, in Buddhism, it's a very, like, the locus of control is very much you. And everything that you're seeing and perceiving is very much coming from your karma. No, no, no. No? Okay. Maybe I'm mistaken. To, when you're having a particular experience that is troubling, you empower yourself knowing that you have the ability to do something about it. And the point of view that is coming from my mind is helpful. It's not the absolute truth. If every single existing thing is just your mind playing, then what did the Buddha come here for? when it's just, he's just playing in his mind. Why go to a class to listen to Dharma? You could just stay home and create the, create the event in your, in, your, in, your, in your mind. Wouldn't it be to understand how to create the event that you want? Because... Who cares? Because you would be suffering so you it, it, happiness. Oh, oh. So, okay, so, for example, I'm suffering, so okay. I want to understand how I can transform those events and that play in my mind mm. into happiness. Okay. So, that that's that's uh, I don't know how it's going to come out, but I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm not, it's not nice. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making it any I'm not making it personal, okay. but I'm, I'm generalizing it. Okay, that view is the Hinayanistic view disguising as Mahayana. I am suffering. The people who I see are, who are suffering, oh, it's, just, it's just me. There's really nobody out there to help. There's really nobody anywhere. There's nobody anywhere to help. So, if you're Mahayanas, you would say, there's no need to get on the path, because what's on, why are you on the path? To help others. If you discovered the truth, I'm not saying the truth, but if you discovered this, if you discovered this truth, and you say, and it's supposed to be the truth, or oh, there's really nobody, it's just my mind. If you're real Mahayanas, that's it. Your job is over. You don't need to do anything. But if perceiving suffering is uh, is my own suffering, uh, uh, is a result of my own suffering to myself, I guess. 
it's not because you cause suffering to others, because you cause suffering to yourself, right? Because there's nobody. No, I'm not. Okay, so the difference that I'm saying with that is that there are still different mind streams, but I'm projecting onto those mind streams. I'm so I'm projecting onto the basis, so that so there are other mind streams, there are other people, there are different entities, and those mind streams that basis that I'm pro- I'm projecting my karma onto. So therefore, when I'm seeing suffering, it's really coming from me. Be- projected onto that screen of the of the projects onto that bland screen of the mind stream itself well so that's a, that they're other they're not other beings that's that are projecting a, onto that that's a sophisticated way of holding on to that to, to the same view if there are other mind streams then you just describe something that exists outside of yourself other mind streams right and but everything comes from you except other mind streams. No, every all karma comes from me, not all mind streams. So there are other beings, but what I'm perceiving is coming from me. So therefore, the suffering that I'm projecting onto them is coming from me. My experience of suffering is coming from me. I'm not saying that mind streams come from me. Mind streams are. No, no I'm, I'm just saying yeah, that. So even within there your, are other things outside. There are other existence right, outside of you. Definitely. So there are other existence, but the how do they exist? Perce- By themselves. I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm saying, but coming, <laughs> no, but coming back to the karmic base of it, it's like my karma is being projected onto them. Okay, so, so that's, that's two like, two emptinesses. Not exactly. There's, there's not one emptiness. There's two emptinesses. No, it would still be the, the emptiness in the sense of everything that I experience is mine, my 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 stuff, and that means those stuff are empty, and the other emptiness is that there are other beings, other other entities existing outside of my, of my, what do you want to call it, projection? I don't want to use that word, but projection? No, because they can still be Coming, coming, cribbing? Okay, so the, can they still all be within the same emptiness? So, for example, these other mind streams are all within emptiness, and the emptiness that surrounds all of it, you're projecting onto, you're projecting your... So, so two emptinesses. No, it's still... The emptiness that everybody lives in, and the other emptiness that you project onto. No, it's the same emptiness. It's Wait a minute. Because mind... Uh, you just described two things. Other mind streams... Right. And then emptiness that all those mind streams are in. Which is pretty much, but it's still one emptiness that the mind streams are all Okay, there's, there's that one emptiness that all mind streams are in. Right. And there's the other emptiness, which is... Which is nothing. Just the one mind stream, all... all I mean, one emptiness that the, all the mind streams are in, which, it, upon, which upon I'm projecting the karma onto. And perceiving... Oh, all those... Oh, it's okay. All those other mind streams are one emptiness. They're within it. So, for example, like emptiness, if you wanted to look at it and perceive it as like empty space, kind of, okay. and that empty space, these mind streams are upon and, and are within, oh. and I'm projecting onto that. So, you have em- let's look at empty space, and there are all these planets and suns. If you wanted to. Are these planets and suns the empty space? Uh, one word, too. Are the planets and suns in empty space? Empty space. To conceptualize it, I I feel like I'm like taking up other people's time too. So <laughs> no, this is a good this is a good good thing. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> I don't mind. I totally want to. Can I get to get back to mm-hmm. the initial discussion? Yeah. Uh. I don't. <laughs>
can say that other people exist, but the way we perceive them. I thought I had a question. Right, exactly. That's my. You, you had a question. Well, if you want to answer this question. Oh. <laughs> can I say other people exist, but the way I perceive them comes from my personal seats? Yeah, you could say something like that. But the way you perceive them comes from your own seeds. And what does that mean? It goes back to glamour. Uh, we already have a wrong understanding of the nature of reality that is innate, that is driving everything. And on top of that, we create another reality. That's the glamour. And the glamour, and I'm referring to your perceiving the guy um, being chopped off, and in your mind you're saying, oh, it's just the Buddha taking the bus to Macy's. Okay. That's glamour. Or there is someone there is a Buddha taking the bus to Macy's and you say, oh no, that's somebody getting his arm chopped off. Either one is glamour. It, the psychological way of saying it is you're not dealing with reality. And not dealing with reality doesn't help. Buddhism, spirituality, is not a way of escaping reality, it's a way of dealing with it. As it is, not as it, you would like it to be. Okay? You see someone appearing a certain way, you have all the pre, uh, all the made up ideas about what that, what that appearance is supposed to mean, and you say that person is that. That is glamour. And of course, glamour is driven by uh, ignorance. But sometimes glamour is unfortunately, uh, unfortunately comes up in your quest to understand and you stop. Instead, you, you create another reality to, to sort of uh, dress up or cover the reality that, that, that you are naturally perceiving. Okay. So, According to the, to the view, it's supposed to be helpful. Okay, it's, could, it, it, it could be, well it's not really, it could be a Buddha. I mean, in that view, there's, uh, what, in that view, when is, when is it proper to say it's a Buddha? Are you looking at me now? Yeah, I'm looking at you and asking. <laughs> you're Subuti in this class. You're, you're, for, you're here for everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're saying, you're, can you re-ask the question? When is it proper to see this? When, it, when is it proper to say, oh, that's a Buddha? Well, for me, it, it, if, if I'm going to answer personally, mm -hmm. it's like my view is to hold both at the same time, where I'm like, I'm seeing that person demonstrate amazing compassion because they sacrificed their body as a Buddha and they sacrificed their body and it strengthened my practice. 
but yet there's still these very real circumstances that happen and there's still a lot of people that are really hurt so obviously I should go do something so it's these two views that I'm holding at the same time that allow me to say that just because I see it this one way doesn't mean it's ultimately that way but also that I can still help even if I see sadness so so it's like just because I'm seeing one view doesn't mean that I have to not do anything and just because I'm doing something doesn't mean I can't see the other view too. It's like this combination holding both. And um, Actually that's good. So that's But you're supposed to uh, try to just stay there. Don't imagine another reality. Yeah. Just, just stay uh, frankly, this is what I'm perceiving right now. It may not be what's truly there. And just stay there. The glamour is imagining it, but that what what another reality may be. Okay, that's good. Now, when is it proper to say that's a Buddha? Um, honestly, I, d- I don't know. When you see a Buddha, what? When you see a Buddha, exactly. I was about to say when I perceive it, and I'm like, this is a Buddha, and this is what they've done, and blah blah blah, and it resonates with me. And then if I really wanted to back it up, I go to the scriptures, and they say. Buddha has these qualities <laughs> but for me I've always worked very much more personally this okay. is what I feel right. this is what I'm seeing and this is what's happening and, and, and could, that be, could it be in that, in that kind of uh, universe and kind of reality that person is just regular Joe they can very much be regular Joe but I'm not perceiving them that way so I'm not going to treat them that way because I'm not perceiving them that way hmm. It could may, may well be. But it could very well be, because it'll probably be to the person next to me. It may mm. happen to be for that person next to okay. me. So, there is no proper... There's no, there's no real e- event when you say, oh, now that's the Buddha. It doesn't exist. No. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a hand. So you spoke about compassion, uh, I, I think, in terms of uh, a death, a mm-hmm. friend, or family. Is it okay for us, even if we haven't had initiations or whatever, to picture that compassion as light and somehow actually reaching that person? Oh yeah, you can do that. In the, in the Lamrim teaching, before you even get initiations, you are asked to do these kinds of visualizations. Yeah. You can, con- you can do it here. Yeah. Yes? Uh, something that you mentioned like, at the beginning when you opened the discussion mm-hmm. uh, was that uh, what we can do as a group, and what I was thinking about is what we have in common here that bring us here for meditation and perhaps my answer I, I, I don't know the rule but definitely I'm looking for answers mm-hmm. and um, I really don't know if the best way to find uh, find answer is being very ignorant and what you were saying about really accept that you don't know Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you know how that brings answers 
Mm -hmm. That confused me. I mean. Well, you can look at it that way. Uh, if someone is in search of an answer and they believe they have found it already, then they will not make any endeavor to, they will not make any further, further, further endeavor to find the answer. They believe they have already found it and they may not have found it. But if you remain open and honest, I, don't, I have not found the answer, then you sort of, you, you are making yourself a recipient, open yourself to all avenues where the answer may come from. Yeah, but that draws me in a scary place. Good. Truth is usually scary. If you're feeling scared, you get, you're approaching, you're getting closer. <laughs> and how can I overpass that scary thing? Just go through it. There's no going around it. Because I think that my defense in that moment is to invent an answer yeah. that comes from my own, and yeah. then I get stuck again. Yeah, that's avoiding reality, right? Instead of, instead of getting to the truth, we create, that is the reality, that's right in front of you, you create something else so, that you, so you don't go, so you don't have, so you don't meet it. That's, that's glamour. And sometimes when we are approaching it and we start to feel the pain connected to it, as a reaction to, to the pain, we may create a reality, create, create, create an answer that was just when all your, uh, your, only, your only concern at that time no longer becomes the truth, it becomes just getting rid of the pain. And if you if you really shift yourself, then your mind will come up with something to get get the pain out. And when you were guiding the initial meditation, mm. and that you say that there was something in the mind that maybe a stroke to to see what is mm -hmm. that is the same glamour. That yeah. is when we are trying to get rid of that. Is that the fear? Is that that protection from the answer? That could. It, it, it depends on how close you are to, to the truth. That fear could be the obstacle. And, the, and, in, uh, and it could create different kinds of manifestations. Like your fear of the truth could manifest as pain, physical pain somewhere, and now you feel like I have to address this pain. Now you've just been distracted. So... Or it could manifest as, I don't know, uh, all of a sudden something that was already in the room becomes something very, uh, something that becomes very important to, to, uh, for you to uh, turn your attention to. That before that wasn't, wasn't, much of a, of a, wasn't much of an issue, but now it becomes a big issue. That you, your mind amplifies it. A way of distracting yourself from truth. Um, not dealing with reality. The only way to see the mind as it is is to just let your mind see the mind as it is. <laughs> the only way for you to see the true nature of reality is to deal with whatever reality that is appearing in front of you. Because the true nature of reality is the true nature of that. So we don't need to 
try to convince the mind to look for reality. If you, that's if you, where I'm going. That's what I do. No, no. The, the, if you mean by trying to convince your mind to see the true nature of reality, yeah. as uh, rather like this is the true nature of reality. <laughs> Come on, mind, accept it, accept it, accept it, accept it. No, like I'm looking for the true nature, so I'm looking like the mind to be kind of partner with me. It's like cooperate instead of fighting with me and, and see the reality. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's the correct approach. No, uh, you need a strong. Uh, sense of determination, a strong sense of uh, uh, wishing to know, a, s- a strong sense of uh, uh, seeking in order for you to find reality. But the thing is, if you already create a reality in your mind and you're trying to force your mind to accept it, then that's not finding reality. That's, that's not the search for rea- the true nature of reality. The thing is what, is, what is appearing in front of you? Just deal with what is appearing in front of you. And then look, dealing with it is the search of rea- for, for reality, not imposing something upon it. Okay, no matter how beautiful the picture that you that you are throwing on it, it doesn't make it. It doesn't make it so. Okay, if it's a guy get, getting his arm chopped off, that's what it is. <laughs> and if you look deeply into wanting to know the reality of it, it's not supposing it to be something else. You just just look at it. And then eventually you will see the true nature of it. Okay. Um, like for example, How many of you have attended a class taught by uh, Mr. Wick? I don't usually teach. How many other classes have you taught? I don't know, a couple. A couple. You know, in this room, we should all be bowing to him. He is our elder in the Dharma. And he's sitting over there. He's always sitting over there. Okay. Now that's. I mean, we can have. We can throw glamours upon this. That's humility being revealed to you. It's not being. It's not. It's not in words. It's not in the book. It's not in a uh, couch in uh, abstract terms. It's right here, right in front of you. And you don't have to throw the words on him in order for, him to, for it to be true. It's right there. He's been in the Dharma much longer than any of us here. I should be sitting over there and listening to him and look at this, look at this illusion. <laughs> You're the monk. Another illusion, another glamour. Okay. I'm going to point the finger to another person here. (laughs) Uh, 
I hereby give you sanction to teach. That's what you've been waiting for, in order for you to teach. <laughs> I just created a glamour to make it happen. Yo, another, someone else who's been in the Dharma for a very long time, and yet he goes to, to hear little kids. I'm talking about, you know, some people who have definitely entered the Dharma way after him. He goes, listen, he goes to their teachings. And he doesn't go there, you know, to challenge them, to question them so he can make them, you know, feel embarrassed. I mean, he really goes there to learn. Uh, you, sh you should be teaching a class. <laughs> I've, I've taught a couple. <clears throat> you should be teaching. All right. Sorry. So we don't see these qualities in these people because we don't have those seeds? Ah. <laughs> now, what seeds that... What does that mean, you don't have the seeds? But he was pointing before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm asking... Yeah, I'm asking myself that question. What does it mean not to have the seed? Does that mean that he didn't really study much longer? No, I... Hmm? That I don't have it because... Yeah. No, what, what, if I don't have the seed to see him uh -huh. that way, does that mean that he didn't really study that long? He only really have studied that long until I have the seed? <laughs> Michael Wick didn't really... I mean, <laughs> Michael Wick is part of the pioneers of Buddhism in this country. Yeah. That's how long he's been studying. Does that mean if I don't have the seed to see that he didn't read that, didn't that, that's not true? Remember, and this is the story from the sutra. Uh, I forgot his name. There was this, there was this uh, disciple of the Buddha, direct disciple of the Buddha, who couldn't see the Buddha's ex excellent qualities. Does that mean the Buddha didn't have those excellent qualities? And in fact, he saw those excellent qualities in someone else. He was called the dog ascetic. Oh, look at this guy. He's eating a bowl. He's, he's eating his food with his mouth without using his hands. He's uh, crawling around like a dog. Now that's a fully enlightened being. He eats crap. You walk around naked. He's always on all fours. Now that's a Buddha. Now did that guy walking on all fours, eating like a dog, all of a sudden manifest that became a Buddha for him? No. What was he? He was a guy who was crazy, who thought he was, a, he thought he was doing something great. He was walking like a dog. That's what he was. That's what you saw. That's what he was. You were not crazy. You, were not, you, you, didn't, you didn't go have some opium and then all of a sudden you came, you came out and you said, oh, there's a guy walking on all fours. No. You're in your sane mind, you saw this guy walking on all fours, and, and you say, oh, no, that's not a guy. That's a Buddha. There's, it did not make that person a Buddha. And then not seeing the Buddha as not, not being a Buddha didn't make the Buddha not being a Buddha. Okay. Now, having the seeds, it's like, 
if you close your eyes, are you going to see colors and shape? Colors and shape. Does that mean colors and shape stop existing right now? Now they come to existence. Now they go out of existence. Now they come into existence. If I, if you, if you wear glasses and everything is blurred, does that mean things are at that moment? Blurred. That's how. That's how they really are. The whole point is where you said, "I don't really know what this is. Just stay there." That's the truth. That's the reality. You don't have to. Imp- just like that guy imposing Buddhahood on that on that guy acting like a dog didn't make the guy to a Buddha. And because the guy was all puffed up with pride, I'm an enlightened being, look at me. I mean, who, who can match me in, in, in being, in being a, a renunciate? I re- renounce being a, a man, I'm now acting like a dog. Well, what was the result of that? He was born as a dog. He didn't, you know, leave that and go into some heaven, into his uh, heavenly, heavenly palace. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm just wondering, isn't it that um, they truly are all? It is all. They are all Buddhas, but and we have seeds because we choose to, um, because we're teaching ourselves. Something? See, that's making an assumption. What do you see? That's the reality you should investigate. That's it. That's how, you, that's how you get to see the true nature of reality. Whatever you're experiencing, that's what you should investigate. You don't suppose it to be something else and then you're trying to see it as that supposition. Okay, they're, they're all enlightened beings. How does that help you? Yeah. Well, it helps you to know that um, you created them so that you would learn something. I mean, you created God and you're going to take lessons from God? Yes. Doesn't make sense to me. Well, I think it is a mistake. Um, and to understand reality, you start to undo those things because you start to realize that you can you make mistakes in, in the way you perceive them. Yeah. <coughs> it's the same thing comes back to me. I create God, and yet I pray to God. God should be praying to me. I created him. Buddha isn't God. Well, I'm just using the word God to really Im- make the impression. You created a fully enlightened being who knows everything. You created that. And you go to that being to ask for advice. Yes. His omniscience came from you. Yes. And you go ask him? What, do you go, what, what, what are you going to ask him? Um... What your seeds are. Oh, uh, excuse me. Uh, what are your seeds? Well, what? No, uh, you you will ask him about the seeds, which is the point of creation, how everything began. You ask about the seeds. Well, your own seeds. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean uh, you're asking is just your seed? I think it's part of the process. Mm. Well, I mean, all that could be true. What I can say is I don't know. And, uh, and I 
and it doesn't help my Mahayana uh, interest to think that everyone is already a Buddha. Because if I really feel that everyone is already a Buddha, I'm retire. There's no need for me to go help anybody. I don't care what kind of world I'm experiencing. I don't care if I'm being roasted, if I'm seeing myself being roasted in the hells. It doesn't matter to me anymore. Because the whole point of being on the path is to help others. And there's no others to help. Being roasted in the hell is just another creation. And seeing myself going out of hell is just another creation. I'm just tired of this creation stuff. I don't want to create anything else anymore. That would be my... That, that would be the danger for me if I were to hold that view. So if, if, that, if your Mahayana attitude does not, is not harmed by it, if it intends by it, hold on to it because that's the most important thing, the Mahayana attitude. Yes? Is it better then that we look at them as having, them and others, having Buddha nature and ourselves and perhaps and that they actually do, but perhaps then that brings in the Mahayana that they don't realize it, and that brings in compassion. Well, well, you know, people have different ideas about Buddha nature. People think Buddha nature means already enlightened. And Buddha nature uh, is is presented to mean the potential, just like a, a seed of an egg of a tree has the potential to be a tree. It's not a tree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, whatever makes you uh, stay on the Mayana path, whatever skillful means, whatever skillful teachings you receive that is helping you, hold on to it. But the only thing is, don't think of it as being the ultimate, as the final. Just leave a little space in your mind, maybe there's something else. Okay, and if everything coming from your mind helps you to be a bodhisattva, no, hold on to it as tightly as you can. Okay, if it doesn't help, don't worry. It's not the only thing that will help to be a bodhisattva. Okay. Okay. Just one thing to say. You know, I've been listening to all this and kind of just keep it quiet um, and, and I'm, I'm trying to think of something that could kind of weave together you mm-hmm. know some of the thinking that, that you that's been bouncing back and forth mm-hmm. but I, I'm thinking that when I perceive okay, perceive Buddha and, and then there's this notion that oh I am perceiving that's highest and best, my highest and best mind. I'm looking at you, you are my highest and best mind. And then I think about something you said, and I see where, you know, you can kind of take a wrong turn. You can, you can listen to something that someone says and then see it as reifying that concept. For example, when you taught the uh, Heart Sutra um, seven years ago at DNKL, when it was still God still, I think, <laughs> Right, mm-hmm. and the very last thing you said before we left was, "If there's anything that I said that you found helpful, don't look at me, don't thank me, thank the fact that it could arise in your mind. Thank your own mind that this, whatever um, I did, arose in your mind as something that could lead to wisdom. I'm just fluttering my lips, and they're just vibrations, and it's arising in your mind. 
And I'm thinking that that would, might have the potential, given what I've heard, of confusing people, not because what you said is confusing, it's not, it's, it's crystal clear, it is, it, it's very beautiful, but people can think that, oh, okay, my, my projection just spoke to me and told me it's just my projection, and it's really all just my mind, it's just my mind, a manifestation of my mind, it's this mind-centric kind of thing, and everything I meet is just reifying that concept that it's just what's arising in my mind, um, when in reality, what I think you were saying, and I think you would agree with what I think you were saying, is that, you know, I'm a being, I'm sitting here, there's 20 people at this, uh, there's, there's 25 people here, we're all seeing you, we're all seeing you speak, and you have as much validity when you're speaking, and you have as much validity in terms of your existence as any of us 25 has, and we're all here, and we're all interacting, and we don't know the true nature of our, any of our existence unless you are an enlightened being and know it. But the fact is that everything that we process is in fact processed through the filter of mind, and there's no other way. And everything that we experience is incorporated by mind, and therefore, simply because of the nature of mind, mind represents whatever it is experiencing. And if mind rep and, and, and five different beings would represent whatever Venerable Ponsak taught tonight or in that particular Heart Sutra retreat in, in different ways, and one of them might, have ex might experience it in a way that leads them to practice in a, in a better way and to move forward on the path, and one might experience it in a way that's, you know, this is completely useless crap and I'm just going to go home and, you know, put on a TV dinner mm. and watch football, mm. uh, you know, Sunday, right? Um, but the fact is that um, what we experience, all we can do is interface with whatever experience we can have without judging what it is, and then use it. Use it as best we can. And if, in fact, it, it does become useful to us, yes, we can congratulate ourselves because we were the one who sat there, listened to it, and it resonated and what resonated was our mind, what we heard was actually our mind processing it, the words that we're, in, we're incorporating are words that we've learned, therefore that's the only way we could make any sense out of anything he said, and the concepts were things that we have learned, we have experienced, we have practiced, and that's the only way we could make any use of the concepts that he said. But that doesn't reduce him to simply a projection that was completely internal, that we all just simultaneously happen to have. And, you know, we were interacting with something, and we don't know what we're interacting with, and we do know that we either went home with something that we could practice or, or we didn't. So, I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yes, also that was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the mind-only school view? What? No, it's not even the mind-only school view. Okay. No. It sounds like the mind-only school, but it's not. No. Sometimes when I want to know if other people exist, I think that I exist. And if I exist, then why not other people would exist? That's a very good idea. Why not? <laughs> uh, well, it's really, 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 really late. I don't know if... Uh, dedication, maybe? Yeah, just dedication. <laughs>
So quickly go back to that sense of tranquility you experienced earlier. Again, try to re-experience that sense of that presence above your head. Really opening your mind, whatever it is that is going to help you address, deal with your real concerns, whatever it may be, without making it into something already. Let that be what's above your head. And let it come into your heart and open your mind to it. So whatever understanding we were able to gain through this talk, we were all immersed in Dharma, that which uplifts, that which helps to transcend, whether transcendence for you is transcending suffering or whether transcendence for you is a transformation. So whatever it is that helps for that to happen. That's what we were immersed in for the last hour or so. And through that immersion, we gathered strength, we gathered very potential positive energy. And because of our compassion for what has happened, we don't know if what we perceive was the absolute truth, but what we were able to perceive, whatever measure of compassion it drew from us, so we direct this power, this positive energy we just immersed ourselves into, that we just gathered, we direct it towards 
what will appear to be providing assistance, providing aid, directing that consciousness, directing all those consciousnesses who are connected and involved to something better that fulfills the aims of dharma. bring your attention back to the breath through your awareness of the breath again become aware of the body an hour there's so much time I have left I mean uh, for people who want to ask questions personal questions you want to okay about half an hour and try to uh, have consideration for others okay uh, I'll leave you with this it's going to be uncomfortable if it's not uncomfortable I didn't do my job Jesongkapa's monumental work uh, commenting on the root wisdom, on Nagarjuna's root wisdom begins with something where it says it's, it's quoting, unfortunately I'm not good with quoting <laughs> so I'm paraphrased okay, so to think that you exist is a delusion <coughs> to think that you don't exist is a delusion to think that others, you can say with others, to say that, oh, there's absolutely nothing existing, is a delusion. So what does that leave you? 
If you're feeling confused, you're just you're at the door to understanding truth. Okay, thank you. <laughs>